Welcome to Geared for Growth. I'm Mike Mortlock, your host. And in part two of this two-part series, we're again talking to the lovely Mel Gooden. Specifically, in the previous episode, we were talking about finances and her tips on how to be able to spend less that you than you earn and invest the difference. And specifically, we're talking about property and the cash flow properties and the types of properties that she likes to invest that help her to get in the direction that she wants to go and get to the point where she can really decide how much work she wants to do. It's another great insightful interview with Mel. Here it is. Melissa Gooden, thanks for joining me back on episode two of this podcast. Thank you, Mike. Now, Last time we were speaking, we were talking about investing. You gave some really good insights into how people can save money and and basically threw it out there. Everyone should be saving some money and and investing. And investing doesn't have to mean buying a million-dollar blue-chip real estate uh, piece of real estate. It could just mean putting $5 a week into a share portfolio. There's all sorts of of platforms like Raise where it it kind of uh, democratizes investing right so for the people that property's out of reach to begin with and i do definitely want to focus on on the property side of this because i know that that's a big part of your success but before property's in reach what do you recommend people invest in so firstly mike as a licensed financial advisor i need to give my disclaimer <laughs> so <laughs> so listen this is not financial advice this is not financial advice. This is general advice. If you want financial advice, you need to see a financial advisor and get personal advice in writing in the form of a statement of advice. So there. Good. Thank <laughs> um, you. That's the admin done. <laughs> admin done. So in a general sense, really, when it comes to investing, there's not much to choose from. There is property. There is the investment markets, share markets, whether that's superannuation, pensions, investments, um, and then there's cash. It's really, yes, there's some other alternatives, but we're not talking those like cryptos and stuff like that still. Yeah. Yep. Um, so really, yes, property is crazy expensive right now. Really, like I look back and I was actually just double checking my figures and I'm happy to be wrong here. But since I started looking at the market, I was like 18. I was saying that the markets, when they say doubled effectively, you know, they say property should double whatever, seven to 12 years, whoever you're listening to, talking to, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen it double at least three times. It might have even been four. Um, and really it goes in waves, right? There's cycles, things go up, then they does nothing for a while, long time, goes up round and round, sideways, who knows. Um, so basically what I'm saying is there's cycles and the the investment markets, share markets have different cycles. Um, so really there's always something to invest in. I think that's mm-hmm. the point is that if you have the attitude that every week I need to be investing, I need surplus cash flow on a week-to-week basis, it needs to be part of my life, my kids need to invest, everyone needs to invest, then sometimes property isn't available or it's not affordable or it's the wrong time to buy it. Like, then, mm. And so there's other things. So, yes, talking about raise for kids and small amounts, um, really I feel like people should be doing more um, than that. Um, then really it comes into buying investments through either managed funds or share portfolios um, and things like that. And that's where a lot of people really just don't know. They don't know how to buy. Um, It is actually really difficult to consistently week in, week out buy investments 
especially directly in the share market. So mm. it is a bit of a handicap, I feel like, in the way the Australian market is. Oh, um, so, but that is the reality that we really need to be buying on a consistent basis. And because market cycles often are in, come in different at times, um, buying into, say, the share market for a while. And then when you've got enough money invested, so going back to my analogy of like if you're investing $500 a week as a typical family, $1,000 a week, whatever, um, then that's 25, 50 grand a year. Like you can see how that's adding up. That's adding up. Um, and then, yes, maybe a time comes down the track where you can get into the property market. So you might sell down investments, you might transfer them across. Um, really the point is that for me, money needs to come out of your savings in, go into investment markets and it never goes back into spending. It really, yeah. it, whether it's investments, shares, whether it's property, um, that's where most people's focus needs to be in life. That's exciting. It's a, the whole getting rich thing. It's exciting. I, yeah, I was lucky enough to have a father. It taught me all this stuff by the time I was 15 and I find it crazy exciting. Um, so yeah, start learning. If you're a DIY kind of person, start learning where to invest, how to invest in the market. Um, because while you're waiting to get into property, there is a whole bunch of stuff that you can do that are good, solid, long-term investments. that are going to give you a much, much better return than sitting in a bank account, putting it off your offset account. Like there are way other things you can do. And obviously I can't go into that level of detail, but yeah, there's worth researching. Well, the worst, the worst investment is still better than blowing cash on something you don't really need, right? Or, or worse than that, uh, some sort of afterpay purchase that you enjoy in the short term and you pay for in the long term. This is the interesting thing, and this is why I say invest weekly, because most people think that investing is actually really risky. And it really depends. If if you're lucky enough to have $100,000 sitting in a bank account somewhere or you've got an inheritance and you've got some cash and you want to throw that into the stock market, that's kind. Of, it is kind of risky, right? Stock market could go down. It could crash 20%. You could lose, not all of it, most of you doing long-term investments, but you can, yeah, you can lose money in the short term. Mm. The great thing about buying, and it's called dollar cost averaging. The great thing about dollar cost averaging or consistently buying into the market week in, week out is that you actually want the market to be crashed. Who wants yep. to buy an investment when it's expensive? That's a terrible idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So when the when the taxi driver is saying, hey, hey, the share market's great, buy shares, do not buy shares. <laughs> that is not, yeah. right? Contrarian investing is really what it's about. You want to buy in low, you want to sell high. And so, yeah, until property is something you can buy, there is way, yeah, that it's better to be investing into things consistently, even if markets are down, especially if markets are down, and then find a good time to transfer it across to property um, and then make sure that that property is a really, really awesome property because there are always awesome properties. There are amazing properties, even in different you know, market cycles, expensive cycles, cheap cycles. There's always amazing properties. You've just got to know what you're looking for. Well, good. This is a property investing podcast, so this is where the rubber really meets the road. Now, I know your personal philosophy is spend less than you earn and invest the difference and invest in positive cash flow endeavors. And you've really zeroed in in 
property from a positive cash flow point of view. Now, there's people that will say, look, you 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 either invest for capital growth or you invest for positive gearing. There's people that are saying that you can't have both. There's people that say that you can have both. What fundamentally or philosophically was important to you about positively geared property? So, yes, I understand there. It like, depends on which side of the fence you sit. And I actually sit on the both. <laughs> you can have both. <laughs> um, so, the pro- every, I mean, your listeners might understand this, right? Yes, capital growth is amazing, but it can be a really, really, really long time if you're sitting around waiting for growth. And if you've been in the property market for long enough, you will know that there have been many, many, many long-term years where people are losing money year in, year out. And we're not talking small amounts of money. Like we're talking $10,000, a year losses on properties. And, yes, you get a tax deduction for it, and that's great. But what does a tax deduction equal? Tax deduction equals you're making a loss and you have to keep working to pay for that loss because someone's Mm. paying for that loss. And if you love working and you want to work while you go for growth, that's awesome. Um, and it's definitely a strategy that can work, but you've got to want to work and I don't want to work. So that didn't work for me. I'm like, hang on, okay, that gig's not going to go, go fly. So I'm going to try something different. Then there's the positive cash flow people, um, which in this market's crazy hard to achieve, right? And um, then you're talking out-of-town properties, you're talking like, you know, good cash flow. And that stuff, it is, um, yeah, it's it's a great way of building wealth. It can be slower, yes, but also you're not obviously having to wait for market cycles. You're not having to wait for the big run in property and, you know, but so it's, yeah, I can see the benefits of both. Um, I personally like to be a little more creative and make sure that there's ways of getting good rental incomes on a property before I buy it and it needs to have multiple options. Um, Personally, I won't look at buying a property that is just your typical home that's, you know, valued as a single home on a single block of land and there's nothing you can do with it. I like to do things with property. I like to create the wealth myself out of the property Um, and not everyone is interested in doing that. So, you know, and there's different ways you can do that whether you're buying land in your building or you're, you know, doing some kind of mini little development, um, you know, lot A, lot B. There's there's different ways you can add value. I'm not a renoer. That's clearly I'm not. <laughs> that's not something that I'm going to be doing. Um, I Light renos, stuff like that, yes. Um, yeah, I guess I do look at that both. And probably the different the way I have a bit of a different approach to property is I, and again, the people on the growth side of things who are like looking at the numbers and just buy unemotionally. I'm, I like, I like investing emotionally. That's to me, that's who I am. I'm a numbers girl, but I'm also an emotional based human. And I actually like doing both. Um, so I actually like to buy properties that I want my children and their children and their children and their children to own. And whether it's, you know, my parents might live in a, in retirement or it might be somewhere that I might live in for a while or I actually love buying places as if they're part of the family. <laughs> so That's very, very interesting. And we're, we're taught 
not to be emotional and i mean you're in the finance game and and that sort of seems to run against the the grain that everything should be just like a ruthless numbers based decision but like we're we're not saying that these are purely emotional but there's an emotional aspect and perhaps the value of that is that if if you are excited about the asset then the market is likely to share that enthusiasm so that has an influence on value is is there something in that the give for growth property investing podcast is presented by our business mcg quantity surveyors if you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. I think it's more around, I have a saying, and it goes, invest like the Catholic Church. Right. So years ago... I started noticing, like this is when I was like my early 20s, I started noticing going, look at all these amazing locations and these gorgeous churches. And I'm like, who owns all this stuff? And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church, they've owned these properties since the cities were founded, (laughs) right? And then I go, how? And then I started noticing, again, in my 20s, that clients, um, they're, parents would spend their entire life working to pay off a mortgage and then the parents would die the kids would sell the property they might get 50 grand 200 grand each between the children and they'd sell this incredible property that their parents had worked their entire life to uh, uh, to own mm. and then they'd use the money to pay off their mortgage or to pay off their or to pay a little slice of their mortgage off or to pay off their car loan or to go on a holiday or to give their kids some money to pay off their hex debt. And I'm like, really? Your parents spent like, what, 40 or 50 years of their life just so you could pay your car loan off? Mm. Like, And I started going, hang on a minute, how can you buy property and stitch it up <laughs> so that it's making money, it's a good solid investment, no one has to sell it, there's plenty of cash flow, and your, pe- your kids own it and their kids own it and their kids own it and no one ever wants to sell it. And if you mm. look at... And again, I'm not sure if this is against what your listeners are into or doing, but if you look at selling a property, taking the profit, then you've got capital gains, you've potentially got real estate agents fees, and then if you're going to take that profit and put it into another company, another property, then you've got stamp duty. Like these are chunky, chunky, large amounts of money. And if we mm. add all those that money together, that's often a deposit on another property. So yeah. not selling because you actually have an amazing property, can actually be a really good financial decision in the long term as far as acquiring more properties. When, when you were looking at positively cash flowed properties in the beginning, I'm, I'm assuming a big part of it was you couldn't really afford to chip in to hold on to this property um, each week. Now, that might have changed over time, but you sort of stuck with that philosophy. It, was was part of that to do with the the kind of rigors of the bank in you could potentially hit a ceiling unless you're on a really big income in buying that next one and that next that next one has has positively geared property enabled you to expand your portfolio in a way that you think you couldn't have done 
uh, yeah. with a negatively yeah. geared property? And that was the interesting thing. And I kind of thought it would happen. I kind of thought thought it happened in like on paper, but then when I actually came across it. So when you've got like healthy cash flow positive properties, that income goes on to your borrowing capacity. Mm. And when I was looking at buying my dream home, I thought, oh, I might have to like sell a property to kind of get, you know, the loan kind of funded and stuff. And then my broker at the time said, no, 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 if you sell that, you're going to be borrowing less. And I was like, oh, it actually really does work that way. Mm. And so it's almost like a built-in rudder, I guess, in a way, because the great thing about property is it's really hard to like to move and like to sell and to kind of liquidate, right? Whereas shares, you can just sell 10 grand, get some cash out. And I love the idea that you're actually kind of acquire and never sell. So having an asset that is chunky to sell and annoying to sell and expensive to sell, um, the idea that you're kind of, your investment philosophy structurally is set up to actually encourage you to continually acquire and not sell is actually a really nice inbuilt, I guess, structural component mm. of having a, ca- a positive cash flow strategy. Yeah. Um, and then I guess it also means that it does give you some freedom if you if there is a property that you're like, oh my gosh, it's amazing, and yes, it's gonna you know be negative by a couple hundred bucks a week. That's fine. I've got other assets that are going to cover that kind of you know. So you, it can then I guess open up more opportunities to acquire that wonderful capital growth property that maybe is at a bit of a loss and especially in this kind of market. Um, yeah, so I just I feel like it just gives a lot more freedom. And from a psychological perspective, the feeling that, again, I have this analogy of like every investment needs to sit up on a shelf. So if you can imagine like a shelf and each of the assets is like a little separate box you just okay that thing's going to turn itself over the rent will cover it this will keep running like everything's sorted i don't have to contribute to it done sorted sit up on the shelf there's another one and then get another one drop it up on the shelf so they're literally maybe it's the mother and me i'm like going okay that kid's in school it's sorted okay next one okay (laughs) next kid's in school done done my job um (laughs) that i feel like it from a maybe from a psychological perspective it's very freeing to go i don't have to worry about that it just ticks mm. over, it sorts itself out, you know, and, yeah, they just kind of run themselves and I'm really big on freeing up. I feel like today's world is so complicated. I'm really big on having a very simple investment philosophy that really doesn't take a lot of mental energy to run. Like, we, you know, get on, live your life, do your job, hang out with your kids, your wife, whatever. Like it's, there's a lot to be said for having a strategy that is really just it makes sense, set and forget, let it run. You wake mm. up in 10 years' time and it's worth twice as much. Awesome, great. And somewhere along the line we've dragged some equity out, we've bought something else. It's really, yeah, it's a very comfortable. And part of, for me, you mentioned something before, um, to me investing can, really comes down also to safety. It's a very safe way of living. Mm. If you're spending less than you're earning, you're putting money into investments that are making you money, you kind of know on a deep level that you're moving ahead in a really positive direction. And it really creates a lot of safety, a lot of security. Um, it's a nice feeling to have, to know that your future's pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, and um, it made me think about your holidays, which we talked about in the first episode. Instead of spending $5,000 on a holiday at the end of the year, you were doing it once a month. You were doing you know, a night or two 
know, within a short drive because I think with kids, it kind of doesn't really matter whether you're in Aspen or, you know, um, Tweed Heads, right? You go and you stay to a hotel. It's like, oh, wow. Great. Say again, what sorry. What is that park at Hastings? There you go. Right? Yeah. That's what kids that's what kids are into. And I think even yourself, you know, if you're sat somewhere on a balcony in a house that you don't really need to clean and you've got a glass of wine or a or a good book, it's surprising how little you can do it. But um one of the other positives is like you were talking about the previous episode, you're like, Who does that? I go on holidays all the time, but you weren't spending a lot of money. You were just you were just doing it on the regular and you always had something to look forward to. And that and for me, if I don't have a holiday booked even if it's 12 months in 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 the future it's kind of like oh you know i want something to look forward to i think that's a similar sensation to i'm investing i'm saving money and every week i'm doing something so i'm building towards a place i've got you know some psychological comfort in my own momentum that sounds very grandiose but It, no, it's a psych. What was it? Psychological comfort in my momentum. It's exactly mm. the point. I, um, and I guess there's this idea of like turning the Titanic, right? Like maybe people are like they feel like they're bleeding money everywhere. They feel like they're just going nowhere. They don't know where they're going. It's really a bit of a like a mess when it comes to like. Well, let's sound sound weird. Like energetically, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and. Yeah, it's around really giving clarity and structure and going, okay, this is where we're headed and it's all positive. We're actually, everything we're doing is positive, positive cash flow. We're feeling good about what we're doing, our lifestyle's sorted. It can be really empowering and it can also mean that you can do that kind of fast run because you're like, well, I'm actually feeling good about this, right? And for me, though, that five or six years of crazy hard work, that was what I needed. I needed regular holiday to go okay I feel like I'm rich I'm living on like this little tiny bit of what I you know have um but I needed to feel rich and that's what I say to my clients like you'll be spending less <laughs> if, if I'm involved in your life you'll be spending less than you're used to but I want you to feel rich I want you to feel like you have a great lifestyle you don't even notice and it's win-win it's really just mm. apportioning what we like everyone if you throw your cards on the table you go, this is what we've got to play with. This is your income. This is your assets. Like you've got limited things that you've got to play with. But if you can rearrange them in a way that goes, oh, okay, that makes me crazy happy and that gets me ahead financially, I want that. That's the yeah. kind of both that I'm talking about around, yeah, you can have both if you're just really clear and structural about it and, yeah, work work with the way humans are built <laughs> rather than the way I think society and the banks and the government and everyone has set life up to be. It's almost like, I don't want to sound like, um, you know, too negative about it, but it's almost like, yeah, society benefits from us kind of feeling like we don't have it all together and we've got to be con- constantly chasing and chasing and getting things better. And, you know, there's this carrot at the end and it's called mm. 65 or 67 and, you know, like, I don't think most people are happy living life that way. And so flipping it around and making things positive, positive cash flow, like it's a really, really empowering way of running your finances, running your life. And you can have both. I love that. So um, to, to wrap up, 
this this whole package where we've we've covered quite a lot of ground we've talked we've talked about almost like the philosophy of happiness <laughs> we've we've talked about discipline and saving and pleasure delaying we've talked property if we if we go back to the to the melissa that was in that situation where it was kind of like all right i'm sort of on my own here with with the children i don't have a tremendously big income but i've got to start getting strategic you lent into your superpower which was your financial planning background but if if you can go back to that melissa who perhaps didn't have that what did she need to know and where did she really need to get serious and disciplined to get to where you are today personally i don't really want to go back there mark it was not pleasant (laughs) but i will um i think the answer to your question is i remember probably the thing that like really was really really good advice i luckily had an amazing dad who knew this stuff mm-hmm. and like i i was never going to be like you know i wasn't definitely not silver spoon i'm like state school girl made it first what do they call it first generation wealthy um but he knew what to do and um i think he also tried to though <laughs> divert me and do the safe and secure path as a father would and be like, no, no, just get get a job and be safe. Yeah. Um, right. But he did say to me when I was going through my divorce, a lot of people I think make the mistake of thinking they can't afford the family home. And then they yeah. make the grand, grand, grand step mistake of selling the home, dividing up the assets, and then they're left with really not much. And it doesn't leave you a lot of options. It's a really horrible place to be. So when someone comes to me in that situation, I really try and, I guess, give them the gift of what my father said to me. And he goes, <laughs> he basically said, Melissa, no bank's going to give you another loan on the selling pension. He said, keep your home. And I was like, okay. And I knew that he was wrong because I knew that I was going to do something amazing. <laughs> but he was right in saying that try and hang on to your assets and try and make it work. Um yeah, so I feel like probably the answer to your question is having someone in your corner who can really, I guess, help guide you. Um, maybe if, whether it's, you know, obviously that's what I do for my clients, but for people that are wanting to find someone else, like maybe there's someone who's gone there before you, a friend or a relative who's really good at navigating finance and making really good decisions because I often feel like humans will make emotional decisions at horrible times in their lives mm. um, because they're worried, they're scared. It's the whole, you know, share market up and down. Really, the share market would just go up 10% every year if there wasn't human emotions in the world, mm. right? So, um, yeah, so it's around having someone in your corner that knows what they're doing and can actually guide you and help you make those good decisions because a good decision, oh, my gosh, it just sets you. Like if I look back to where I was, it was just simply a series of very, very good decisions. Like mm-hmm. every decision I made pretty much was a really, really good decision. I could have made better ones. Like one of the homes I paid 15 grand more than it was worth and the guy posted on his Facebook, I got overvalued. Like, and I was like, oh, okay. But <laughs> who cares, right? I wanted the home. And that's the thing. I buy things I want. And if I have to pay, actually... I usually pay over over price for things by a little bit, but because I know I'm going to own them for 200 years or someone yep. in my lineage will, right? So it's 
just a series of really, really good decisions. And sometimes making good decisions can be actually really difficult. So if there's someone you know that can be in your corner, help you, that's really going to set you up. Yep. I love that. And and for anyone that, let's say they have got to that point where they can start looking at property or let's say they have a good income, they don't feel terribly wealthy, even though they're they've got a good family or household income, they've got negatively geared properties. What do you think we need to know about property to really getting it work working for us so that we can go down that lifestyle route if, if that's what we want to do? If we've figured out what makes us happy, how do we actually get property to do the heavy lifting for us? Okay, so if there are people out there now who have um, and I was just actually speaking to a potential client this morning about this. The people out there now who have got, say, negative geared properties and in this kind of market that's possibly a bunch of people, um, really, it, again, not financial advice, but just in general, if it's a great property and you want to keep it, really you need to get it out of negative gear, uh, out of negative gearing if you can, if you're looking at doing the having a lifestyle, giving up my job in some, you know, in some amount of time. And really it's, sorry to say it, but it comes down to spending less than you earn. You've got to spend less than you earn. You've got to work out how long you're willing to do that. Um, and the great thing about property, the great thing about finance is the numbers don't lie. You run the numbers, you get someone who knows the numbers, right? And this is where maths is just love maths. Um, <laughs> numbers will tell you everything. And so if you know how to read the numbers, if you don't know how to read the numbers, find someone who does or learn how to do it. Um, and then really, if you're in that bit of a situation where you've got to flip things around, it's going to take you a few years of spending less than you earn. And then you've really got to put that savings into the right spots, restructure things the right way so that you can turn things around. It doesn't take that long. Um, you know, we might be talking two or three years, might be talking five years. A lot can be done in five years. And during that time, you can still feel like you're rich. It's just a little bit of a psychological trick <laughs> to yeah. find out how to make yourself, I mean, barefoot investors, buy fancy pillows or something around that. It's not my thing, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I think it's, yeah, kind of dig deep, dig deep, work out what you want, find a way of saving some money and really putting it into the right places. But you've got to know your numbers and you're probably big on this, Mike. Like you've got to know what your properties are. Like, you know, clients will send me through, you know, some real estate, like snapshots, what are this and this and this, like run the numbers. I can tell within like two minutes whether it's something that's worth even looking at. Um, yeah. It's very, very easy um, to still got this puppy um <laughs> it's very very easy to do once you know how to do it um just really got to if you're going to be a property investor and this is what you're doing in your life um you've really got to learn how to read numbers for properties mm. it's yeah because that's it's everything it's everything it's like running a business effectively you've got to run your numbers you've got to know your cash flow um yeah. there's no there's no other way around it <laughs> if yeah otherwise you're just winging it <laughs> yeah and we don't want to wing it because you've you've shown us how we can have our cake and eat it too. So, yeah, absolutely, numbers are critical important uh, of critical importance. Melissa, that's uh, that's been a great uh, second episode to this two part series on uh, on how you've achieved what you have in, in property and the advice that you would give for people that were in a similar situation or just aren't feeling rich or or want to exit that rat race. So, thank you very much for sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom today 
You're welcome, Mark, and I'm really happy to be here and hope I've imparted some value to your listeners and may they, yeah, make some amazing decisions and really suck the marrow out of life. Beautiful. I love that. Thanks, Melissa. Okay. Thanks, Mike. See ya.